This podcast is brought to you by SecureFrame.com, the platform for automated compliance. SecureFrame makes it quick and easy to achieve a number of compliance measures in a matter of weeks rather than who knows how long. For those that have dealt with compliance before, you know that it's overwhelming to say the least. Creating policies from scratch, manually collecting loads of screenshot evidence, ensuring employee compliance, and keeping track of hundreds of vendors and documents. Sounds fun, right? (laughs) Thankfully, our friends at SecureFrame have simplified the entire process to save your team months of time and effort. SecureFrame automates hundreds of manual tasks. They streamline evidence collection through over 100 deep integrations with your cloud providers, HR tools, dev tools, and more. They provide you with over 40 auditor-approved policies and give you step-by-step guidance from in-house compliance experts. If this sounds like something you want to learn more about, go to secureframe.com to schedule a personalized demo today. The explosion in use of stablecoins last year came onto the regulatory radar in a very real way. A bunch of federal regulators put out recommendations that essentially punted the issue to Congress. It's possible we'll get some more clarity this year on the stablecoin front. It's also entirely possible that we won't. And I think it's a near certainty that we won't see Congress act anytime soon with respect to stablecoins. Hi, everyone. It's Julie Verhage-Greenberg here with your FinTech Today podcast, where we talk about the latest trends in FinTech and interview the industry's movers and shakers. In this episode, I'm joined by Jonah Crane, a partner at Claros Group, who focuses a lot on FinTech regulation. And, you know, this is something that prior to covering FinTech and even like the last year, we started a podcast with Plaid, which is a company that you have worked with before. Um, about policy. So I have learned so much about it lately, but you know, it's such a massive space and there's been so many changes over the past like six to 12 months or even just the past six to 12 days for that matter. Um, With the changing administration, fintech becoming this massive thing. And then, you know, cryptos kind of come out of nowhere to be something that DC is really focused on as well. Um, So let's start, let's start with crypto because I want to make sure we cover this topic and it could end up taking the entire 20 minutes. Um, what, what do you sort of see as the big themes in crypto regulation this year? Sure. Well, uh, thanks for having me, Julia. Pleased to be on the podcast and, um, part of the, the growing community you guys are building. It's really impressive. Thank you. Um, so yeah, as you say, a whole lot going on. And I mean, one could be forgiven for having a hard time keeping up with, um, you know, crypto <laughs> policy news, let alone crypto markets news. Um, it's really comes fast and furious these days. Um, but, you know, I think the big, obviously, uh, stablecoins is, is a big issue in D.C. I think that, you know, came on to policymakers' radar in a very real way when Facebook originally announced the Libra project. I think it's been on their radar ever since. And certainly part of their, their thinking from a policy perspective around, um, you know, potential central bank digital currencies and, and those kinds of payments initiatives. So I think it plays into a bunch of different policy streams. And then with the growth and, uh, you know, really explosion in use of stablecoins last year came onto the, the regulatory radar in a very real way. Um, and, you know, the regulators, a bunch of federal regulators put out um, recommendations that, that essentially punted the issue to Congress um, uh, and, and said that, you know, stablecoins should only be issued by insured depository institutions. But uh, that that would require an act of Congress. Um, in the meantime, I think the FSOC, the Financial Stability Oversight Council, will uh, take up the question of, uh, you know, whether stablecoins or stablecoin issuers might pose systemic risk 
Um, and if so, um, you know, whether they should be subject to some heightened standards, uh, presumably uh, standards that would be issued by the Fed. And um, so I think, I think FSOC will take up the mantle. That's what you'll see in the near term. These processes take a while, so I wouldn't expect any action out of FSOC anytime soon. And in the meantime, you have the banking regulators and the SEC um, who will continue to oversee activities within their respective domains. So, you know, if banks are getting involved in stablecoin uh, issuance, um, uh, the bank regulators will be involved. And I'm sure the SEC will continue to um, think about whether stablecoins like Tether uh, really should be regulated as money market funds. So uh, it's possible we'll get some more clarity this year on the stablecoin front. It's also entirely possible that we won't. Um, and I think it's a near certainty that we won't see Congress act anytime soon with respect to stablecoins. And interestingly, by the way, that the PWG's report and the sort of punting of this issue to Congress was not super well received on either side of the aisle, from what I can tell. Um, I think uh, both, you know, staffs on both sides are sort of wondering, well, OK, regulators, um, you know, why, why just send this our way? Um, you know, what are you going to do about it? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how those those dynamics play out. Beyond stable coins, I think, you know, you're going to see a lot more activity and I'll just briefly introduce a couple topics and see where you want to go. I think obviously the, the growth in DeFi um, has got everybody's attention and regulators, I think, are really trying to get their arms around. How do we approach this space? How do we, you know, where does our jurisdiction begin and end here? Um, and how do we even get started? So I, I, I am certain that we'll see more activity uh, around DeFi, we saw some early uh, action from the CFTC, and maybe this is an area where they're, they'll start to um, uh, sort of exercise more direct uh, authority. I think, um, you know, and there are obviously outstanding uh, uh, cases in court around, um, you know, with around XRP. And so it's possible that some of the litigation that's outstanding um, will be resolved and, and provide, um, you know, some clarity one way or another. So. Um, you know, I, I started this year expecting, um, you know, expecting uh, heightened um, use of enforcement actions by the regulators, the CFTC and the SEC in particular. Um, I still expect that. I also think you're seeing more and more appetite from the industry to push back on that. So um, you've seen that in the in the grayscale commentary around a spot ETF, for example. And so, you know, that's another another area worth watching. What what makes you think that there will be more action this year? Um, is it that you think Bitcoin and other cryptos are going to continue to be super popular and gain a lot of traction? Is it that uh, some of the new people that we've seen come into D.C. with the new administration, like SEC's Gary Gensler um, and others seem to really want to focus on crypto quite a bit? Like what's making you um, have that prediction? Well, I think as a practical matter, enforcement actions take a while to prepare and to bring. And so I think the, the new administration was probably... Um, you know, getting their getting their feet underneath them, and you know, the SEC uh, last year brought in a new head of it, head of, head of the enforcement division, and so I think it just takes a while to um, get your ducks in a row to bring these kinds of cases, and they're they're big and potentially impactful cases um, involving novel issues, and so um, you know, I just I expect that uh, that that some of those some of those cases will be ready to bring this year, um, and that's why you'll see an uptick uh, as much as anything, um, and it's probably you know largely outside of, say, the Bitcoin space. It's probably really around altcoins, around yield products, around other things that, um, you know, retail investors are getting into. Um, and, you know, the SEC is going to have to figure out how far how far they want to go and how far they want to push the envelope in, in some of these enforcement cases. But I, I would expect an increase. And like I said, I'd also expect an increase in pushback from the industry, who I think is, um, you know, increasingly 
um, fed up, for lack of a better word, with the, the idea that they're, they're not getting clarity from the regulators and the regulators are going to turn around and bring enforcement action. So whether that's right or wrong or fair or not, I, I definitely get that sense from the industry. Do you think that the crypto industry is going to push back correctly or do you think they're going to do it in a way that's going to ruffle feathers too much and might actually have, uh, you know, the opposite effect of what they're they're hoping for? You know, look, I'm sure we'll see uh, different market participants react in different ways, different industry groups react in different ways. I think there's a there is a good, solid core within the industry who wants to engage constructively, I think. Um, you know, I think if they're met with constructive engagement from the regulators, you'll continue to see that. And it's not the stuff that always hits the headlines, but there's lots of constructive engagement happening um, uh, behind the scenes, uh, either through through industry groups or through uh, market participants themselves. So I think you'll see a range. That's a bit of a non-answer for me, I suppose. Um, but I think it's just a it's just a fact that we'll we'll see a variety of different approaches. I it, it's very possible. I mean, as you know. As you alluded to, I think if you get the wrong kind of response, it's very possible that it could trigger it could trigger negative, uh, you know, negative reactions. Certainly, politically and even at the agency. So I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll remain hopeful that engagement will stay constructive. What would be something that could change your your view on that for either the better or worse? Um, it's a good question. I think um, I think it's less about you know what you engage around and how you how how you engage. And I think um, you know I think the the tax bill last year was a good example of that. The industry was caught a bit flat-footed um, and reacted very strongly. I think, um, you know, they they made their presence known, but I think it, you know, raised a bunch of questions among lawmakers who hadn't previously focused a lot on crypto. That the first time they're hearing about them is when they're trying, um, you know, trying to get out from uh, what was perceived as, you know, tax re- the kinds of tax reporting that other industries are subject to. And so, um, I think you, you know, the industry is going to have to you know, be careful about the kinds of impressions that it's leaving, the kind of image it's creating for itself. And, um, you know, they have, uh, they, they have enough challenges from a regulatory perspective without being perceived as people who want to avoid paying taxes too. So I think, um, uh, and you know, the, the, the stakes are just going up as crypto becomes more mainstream is on, you know, is on everybody's radar and, and now lawmakers are paying attention. And so I just think it's a, it's a sign of maturation that the industry, um, you know, and it has to, think a lot harder about its image with uh, with those kinds of stakeholders. Yeah. And one of the other things that I want to keep a close eye on, and this has just happened um, in the in the recent days, um, although it was rumored for a while that um, PayPal is looking at doing a stable coin. And I find that interesting because I remember reporting on Facebook or Meta um, developing their stable coin and PayPal was initially one of the partners and then one of the first ones to back out as well. And, you know, I went down to D.C. for the hearings where David Marcus from Facebook was there testifying and everything. And, you know, one of the biggest reasons that Congress wasn't a big fan of it is just simply that it was Facebook. So I think we're going to be able to tell a lot for um, if PayPal does end up doing this, how that's received by Congress versus how the Facebook one was received. What might you be watching for in there? Yeah, I think that's very uh, perceptive, Julie. I think... Um uh, and, and, and it will be it will be a good indication um, sort of people's reactions to the, the, the PayPal news will be a good indication of um, their overall views, whether they're sort of anti stable coins in general or whether they're really Facebook specific issues. I think there's no question that there are Facebook specific issues. I think there are additional questions about whether, um, you know, a company like a PayPal um, raises some of the same questions from a sort of data and privacy perspective, um, right? This is a big company with 
um, you know, uh, uh, you know, has indicated some uh, desire to become something like a super app, which I think the current regulatory uh, crew would find um, uh, not super desirable. Um, I think it's very clear that uh, you know anything sort of modeled on the the sort of super app model is not going to be super welcome at a place like the like the current CFPB. Um, that said, you know, I think I think what's so interesting about a company like PayPal um, potentially getting into this, and I, I've just read the same news you've read here, um, is you know their relationships on the merchant side, and I really view sort of merchant adoption as critical to um, to adoption of something like stablecoins more broadly um, from a payment perspective. So I think that that makes this super interesting and exciting. I think it certainly will get regulators' attention because regulators understand. Um, those merchant dynamics, uh, and you know, I think that's what one of the things that made the Facebook announcement so powerful to begin with was that you know somebody with that big a customer base was going to be really compelling to merchants, um, and I think they they felt like you could see mass merchant adoption relatively quickly, and that that probably did scare them a little bit. So maybe they'll have some of the same concerns with respect to PayPal. Um, you know, that said, it also puts it in a, in a different light, which is this is you know another stage in the evolution of payments. Um, and I think, you know, that, that helps to put, I, I think puts it a little bit more in the, in the, in the, in the payments category and maybe something people can get their arms around a little bit better. It's shifting gears a little bit. You know, you guys in general, Claros Group, do a lot of work on the regulatory space with fintech and broader financial services. What, what are some areas that you guys anticipate you'll be most busy with in 2022 without naming any specific clients, of course? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think um, we've already talked about some of them, right? I think you have, uh, you know, in in the crypto space, um, obviously, there's just a continuing sort of evolution and expansion of the markets, um, and it's happening at sort of a dizzying a dizzying pace. But I think, you know, by and large, um, you know, the the industry sort of knows that at some level they're going to have to deal with regulated players. In many cases, become regulated players themselves, and so. Questions of how to navigate um, the regulatory frameworks uh, will only multiply, and I think we're going to be spending an awful lot of time, uh, awful lot of time there. I like to I sort of joke last year that you know we've worked with crypto companies who want to be banks. We're working with banks who want to be crypto companies, and I think you're you're <laughs> likely to, to continue to see that. Um, and you know maybe uh, maybe if Bitcoin goes you know back down to ten thousand dollars, interest will evaporate. But I suspect. Um, I suspect we'll see continuing interest there and, and, you know, traditional players just seeing the demand from their customers for, um, for digital assets and, you know, trying to find ways to uh, satisfy that demand. And that's going to involve lots of interesting uh, regulatory questions. Um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, if, um, you know, the, the sort of explosion in NFTs, um, the explosion in DeFi, the use of of DAOs, what kinds of questions those, those, those will pose. I expect those to be growing areas um, of activity for us, but I think they're sort of um, right now mostly perspective. What, on that topic, just of crypto, DeFi, DAOs, everything, how do you guys stay up to date on everything that's going on? Because, you know, we mentioned that it, it's, it's nearly impossible not only to keep up on just the everyday news, but you have to add in the, the regulatory environment around that as well. What are, what are some tips and tricks that you have there? I'm partly asking personally, yeah. and then I know my listeners will be interested in that as well. You know, there's no magic bullet. Um, you you really just try and consume as much as you can and hopefully retain a little bit. And as I get older, that gets harder, I suppose. 
suppose. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the good news for us um, is that, you know, we have a, a broad array of clients engaged in lots of interesting cutting edge work. And so a lot of this stuff comes to us maybe before it hits the news. Um, and so, and, and we're also understanding it from the perspective of, you know, businesses trying to solve real problems uh, uh, with, with this technology. And, you know, that makes it a little bit more concrete and easier to, to get our arms around. Um, and, you know, as a group, we have lots of expertise within Claro. So we spend a lot of time in Slack or on video calls, sort of bouncing, you know, new issues or new ideas or new developments off of each other and, and comparing notes on them. And that, that's been really helpful. You know, I, I did this work on my own for over three years and um, found it just really hard to, to keep up. And there's only so much I could read and and, and consume and, and retain at a time. But, um, you know, with the broader team at Claros, there's you can benefit from a lot of their expertise and ideas as well. And so we do, um, you know, we, we do a lot of, of that sort of informal uh, catching up and checking in. But otherwise, it's really just keeping your eyes and ears open. Um, you know, frankly, there's no better resource in some ways than Twitter, um, uh, you know, and other social media channels just to um, get a feel for what's out there and just staying on your toes because it's coming fast and furious. On the M&A front, we, we've seen that sort of pick up steam a little bit and then some deals go through, some deals not go through. What do you, what do you see happening in 2022? Yeah, I mean, 2022 will be a really interesting year because we've just seen, you know, really across the board, the stock prices of public uh, tech companies in general and fintech companies in particular really get hammered. And so, um, you know, acquisitions are going to be a little bit less attractive for companies whose stock is down 50 or 60 or 70 percent over the last several months. Um, and so I'm not sure you'll see as much um, M&A activity coming from the public space as, as you would have expected. But obviously, private markets remain pretty vibrant and so far, um, you know, I won't say untouched, but um, not not sort of drastically impacted by the, the, the moves in public company stocks. And so, you know, Large, large fundraising uh, going on in private markets still, high valuations still. Um, and so I, I suspect maybe you'll see some of the larger private companies engage in, um, you know, be a little bit more uh, active on the M&A front um, just because they have the resources. Um, and they don't have to deal with the, the volatility of a, of a public stock price. So that may be a bit of a, an inversion from, you know, historical trends, which is, you know, the general idea is once you're a public company, you have that currency to go out and make acquisitions. Um, but right now, those, those public company uh, currencies are not looking so great. One of the topics we talked about on the most recent episode of our policy podcast was that there's a lot of regulators in D.C., or well, financial regulators, I should say, that uh, do not have leaders right now. And uh, we brought it up because the FDIC's Yelena McWilliams uh, is stepping down on February 4th. I think the CFPB is what John Pitt said is the only one with a designated leader right now. Um, how is that going to impact what, what happens in the regulatory environment this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll impact it in different ways, um, depending on the agency. So the, the, the SEC, of course, has a functioning, uh, you know, functioning set of commissioners, I guess. Uh, Commissioner Roisman, uh, one of the Republican commissioners, has indicated he's leaving, but at the end of the month, I guess. Um, but they'll still have, you know, a functioning uh, commission. The CFTC uh, doesn't have a a full commission, but they will have a, a functioning commission as well. With and they have a confirmed uh, chair now, Ross Benham. Um, the FDIC, uh, you know, will 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 be able to function. They will have, uh, you know, presumably uh, Marty Gruenberg, who's the only 
um, actual board member, uh, once Yellen leaves, will, will presumably step into the role of chair on an acting basis. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, um, you know, whether they decide to, to nominate, uh, you know, Marty or somebody else to become uh, a chairman this year or not. I think, you know, looking ahead to the midterms, um, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a risky bet to wait, I guess. Um, if you, if you, if you want to have a confirmed, uh, chair of the FDIC anytime in the next three years, you probably want to get that done this year or so. We'll probably know sooner rather than later on the FDIC front. The OCC, I mean, I think they can function. You know, they they, they have been functioning. Uh, I think Mike Sue has is basically uh, you know acting as the comptroller um, as he should because there's no uh, obvious replacement coming anytime soon. And the Fed, you know, starting, you know, I I guess uh, Jay Powell's been nominated, uh, uh, renominated as chair, and Lil Brainerd's been nominated as a vice chair of supervision. Uh, their hearings are occurring this week, and uh, you know votes are expected uh, by the end of the month. So I think I think the Fed will have uh, sort of the key people in place from a regulatory perspective before too long. Um, so I I guess maybe I'm I'm you know, I'm I'm of the view that maybe it won't have such a large impact at least in the short run. I think there are some the biggest question marks clearly at the at the FDIC who you know impacts fintech. Um, somewhat directly, but also somewhat indirectly in terms of being the primary regulator for lots of the key partner banks for the fintech sector and even the crypto sector. Yeah, makes sense. Well, Jonah, thank you so much for joining us. If anyone is listening to this and wants to get in touch with you or Claros, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, Claros is, uh, we're on LinkedIn. Uh, We're also at claros.com, K-L-A-R-O-S.com. Um, and you can always find me on Twitter at Jonah Crane and I'm on LinkedIn at Jonah Crane as well. Awesome. And I am, of course, at Julie Verhage on Twitter. And you should guys should all go to fintechtoday.co, sign up for our newsletter, and we will keep you up to date as much as we can. Not everything, but as much as we can that is happening in this space. Otherwise, Jonah, thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.